deception in the church. Will the real church please stand up? That's the, that's the title of my message uh, today. And um, I'm going to be looking at, just recapping briefly on what the camouflage of what I believe the Babylonian system is today. And then I'm going to get on my soapbox and talk to you about stuff that I literally hate. And that's going to lead me into discussing a type of church that I don't like too much, okay? And, and hopefully I won't get on my soapbox too much and rant and rave, but I just want to try and share from my heart probably what is, I believe, one of the most dangerous attacks against believers and people that are coming to salvation or wanting to come to salvation that there is out there. Postmodernism, I believe, is the camouflage of the spirit of this age. Postmodernism is, is a philosophy that is influencing the cultural worldview of everybody in the, in the Western world today, and it's beginning to have an impact on how we are going to be doing church, all right? And it's very, very dangerous. And I, I, I need you guys to begin to gain an understanding of the timing that we're in and the danger that the church is facing. And that's why I get on my soapbox a little bit later on with things I hate. Rejecting objective truth essentially, in my mind, is the cornerstone of postmodernism. And in essence, it's the ideology that declares that there is no ideology and all claims to truth don't exist, which in effect is an absolute in itself and defeats their argument. But let, let me not go down there. Anyway, the postmodernist will come in and attack you to try and defeat you by, first of all, ridiculing you into silence and using political correctness. If political correctness and ridiculing you into silence is not going to work, they're then going to blame all the ailments of society on you and on your sticking to fundamentalism. And if that is not working, what they're going to then start to do is they're then going to start to curtail your message in the Western world by legislation. And slowly but surely, that legislation is going to start to take more and more of a, of a bite. It's going to have more of a sting in its tail. And eventually, what you're going to find is for you to actually begin to stand on the Word of God, it is going to cost you. It is going to start costing you. And, and, and in the West today, Christianity has not cost Christians much, but it's going to start to happen. And so I'm starting to give you warnings throughout this message in terms of what is coming your way and what is already here. Postmodernists hold that even the pretense of any objective truth will always perpetuate violence against a minority. And so to protect minorities, we have to do away with absolute truths. Now in the series that I've been talking to you about when I've spoken to you about Babylon, I've said to you that Babylon comes along and it manifests its control over the world system in three ways, in politics, in finance, and in religion. 
And in those three areas, it basically dominates and controls the world, and it rises up and becomes stronger, and then it goes backwards as Christianity or the Word of God or an absolute Word of God stands up against it and speaks it down. What is happening today is it is rising. And it is rising while the church, generally speaking, is asleep and running after experience or existentialism or whatever they're running after. I'm going to show you a clip today, and I've been mentioning this in the last sermon, and I mentioned this a while ago, where very, very famous political leaders and icons in the world are starting to make statements, and in making those statements, they are pushing the permission of society to begin to step into the attack mode against Christians, and to begin to implement situations and circumstances and laws and legislations in terms of protecting minorities, but they will have a backward sting against anyone that has an absolute belief system. Those are going to be manifesting in homosexuality and gay marriage and in the abortion issue. That's where that war has been fought right now in the political realm. Now, I'm going to show you a clip of Hillary Clinton where she speaks at the sixth annual Women in the World Summit. I want you to listen carefully to her words because within her speech, embedded there, not yet, just pause it, yep. Nice picture. So in, in that speech embedded there is something I want you to listen to. Now, I'm going to quote to you what she's going to say. Once she says it, I want you to listen to the audience response. Now, Ben will be very, very happy with me now because I'm going to give you a Star Wars quote. Uh, it's the, I don't know which one of the Star Wars one. It's the, you know, you have the three Star Wars stories that were there, and then they, had, then they went back to the future, whatever. And, and that was when, what's it, Darth Vader wasn't Darth Vader. Okay, so we, have, so we have Padme. And Padme makes a statement. And it's, 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 it's unbelievable that George Lucas is a progressive. <laughs> And, and, he, and, and he writes this into the script that Padme is, is at this big meeting, and this is the word she says. So this is how liberty dies, with thunderous applause. Now here is the quote. Deep-seated cultural codes, religious beliefs, and structural bias have to be changed for the sake of giving women access to reproductive health care and safe childbirth. All right, within that is probably a very, very dangerous statement for you. Let's listen to what Hillary Clinton has to say. But far too many women are still denied critical access to reproductive health care and safe childbirth. All the laws we've passed don't count for much if they're not enforced. Rights have to exist in practice not just on paper. Laws have to be backed up with resources and political will. And deep-seated cultural codes, religious beliefs, and structural biases have to be changed. As I... As I have said, and as I believe, 
the advancement of the full participation of women and girls in every aspect of their societies is the great unfinished business of the 21st century. And not just for women, but for everyone. And not just in far away countries, but right here in the United States. Very ominous. It seems to me that Babylon future, Babylon Revelation chapter 17, is actually rising now. This is my opinion. You might disagree with me, and you have a full right to disagree with me. It's not one of those four big issues I'm talking about. And I believe that over the last hundred years, it has begun to influence society in a very, very powerful way and put things in motion in society where society is turning out to be very much like it was in the first century where the Roman Empire was at its peak when Jesus came in and when the apostles came in. The gods they worshipped have just changed. So instead of going into a temple to worship an iron god, you go into an institution and worship a thought process or a theory or a belief system or a philosophy or a practice or protection of a minority or a protection of a majority, or a promotion of something like this, whatever it looks like. But what frightens me is that in the last few years, this move has taken on warp proportions. It's gone at warp speed. It's just, wherever I look now, it's there. There is such a global criticism of Christianity from major leaders around the world now, my, 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 what I'm going to say next, I stand under correction with my statistics. But in the, last 20th, in, in the last century, there have been more Christians persecuted, and there has been more Christian persecution in the, last 20th, in the 20th century than in all of history that Christianity has been in existence combined inclusive of those Roman days when the church was just born. We have been privileged and honored to have been born in the West, Western society where the influence of Christianity had, had, had produced a society that was Judeo-Christian Judo uh, law ethic based. But what you are seeing today, like in that clip, is that these three avenues of Babylon controlling are becoming more and more verbal in their pushing back on Christianity, which is the one thing, the message of the gospel is the one thing that will set people in Babylon free. And so what they are saying now, that is if you hold a deep-seated religious belief, you are going to have to change it. So you are no longer free unless you are free to do what they tell you to do. Their tolerance will only exist as long as you are in step with what they believe. Now the question that you should be asking, and I'm going to be asking a lot of questions now, the question that you should be asking tonight and today is this, if my deep-seated belief system doesn't change, what then will the government 
do to me? Will I be vilified? That's already been done. Will I get fired from my job? Well, you go and make a stand on a moral issue at work based on the word of God and you will be out of a job before you can blink your eye. Am I going to get fined? That's already happening. The question you should then ask yourself is, what is next? Re-education? I read an article, and I, and, and I haven't checked its source yet, but in America, they've got this uh, system that they're practicing in education, uh, primary school education called, called Common Core. Now, the article that I saw makes children in the Common Core system do religious studies. All right? So they make the kids make a prayer mat, an Islamic prayer mat. And then they, 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 they train the children to actually practice Islamic prayers. Re-education. Now I'm going to put my neck out. Just look at our public school system. Don't worry about re-educational camps. Just look at our public school system. Tell you what, it's in the universities already. What is another question? How about we ban certain religions? Well, let's ban the Bible. You try and put the Bible in a public place today. And see what happens. It's already been done. You see, the Bible promotes an absolute that is in complete contrast to the Babylonian system. Well, if we can't ban the Bible, the next step is we will rewrite the Bible. I've already shown you how they do that through deconstructionism. I've already shown you that, how they will put an error next to a truth. I've already shown you that, how they will take truth out of the truth and make it an error. I've shown you how people in the emergent church are deconstructing the Word of God and rewriting the Bible to suit circumstances and situational ethics, which is postmodernism. All you have to do is go and look at the world rendition of how the world is rewriting our Bible stories and putting them in films. All right, Hollywood and the, and, and the monster people, what the rock people, Noah and the rock people. I, I just, I, why, why do they have to go crazy? Just, just film the, the, the story itself, and there's enough supernatural stuff in that story that will blow your mind. Just stick to the story, and it's supernatural. It'll, it'll blow your mind. God sending a man, and he dies, and he rises again, and he fights off the, the devil. It's supernatural. You don't have to rewrite it, but it's already happening. What's next? How about we imprison people for talking? Well, that's already happened because there's a pastor in South Australia that was jailed for a couple of months because he chose to speak against the religion of peace. That if you go to their country and you start practicing your religion, they will give you three alternatives. Convert, pay a tax, or die. 
real peaceful. So my thinking is this, how come a minority of the population has the, has the resources, the power, the ability to basically move the rest of the population into their way of thinking. I mean, we Christians are here in Australia, we, we're supposed to be about 8% of the population. So what are we Christians doing about this move of our society in towards lawlessness? We will watch Christian TV. Hallelujah. We will pray and ask God to do something about our society, and then what we will do is we will make our services so great that the world will flock in, and they will hear our half message and be happy. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. And unfortunately, in many cases, that is not the response of the church. That is the response of a guy like Isaiah in Isaiah 6 verse 8. So what I see Christians doing is, where's the nearest prayer line where I can get my blessing? I need to go to a slush Holy Spirit fest where I can get so sloshed on the Holy Spirit that I'm intoxicated with God, that I'm no good for God in anything because I'm wandering around like a drunk. Hallelujah, praise God, you know. Just put your fingers together and sip in the Holy Spirit like a, like a, a reefer. Hold on a second. I need a church that meets my needs. Where is that church? Really, church? Really? Is that where we are while Babylon is rising? No wonder you see Babylon rising out of the earth. No wonder you see Babylon swallowing up the church. No wonder you see Babylon drinking the blood of the saints. Now, here's a warning for you. Church, you are under attack, and many of you don't even know it. And those people who don't know it are unprepared for it. And it's time for you to wake up. It's time to move from being a believer to being a disciple. So here are some of the things that are on my hate list. And yes, I'm a pastor. And yes, there are things that I hate. So here's a small list of the many things that I hate. I hate disloyalty. I hate gossip. I hate slander. I hate it when people misrepresent me and misrepresent the truth. Oh, that, that's, that's, that really gets to me. I have to say, I'm a little bit like my father. He says, six things the Lord hates. Indeed, seven things are an abomination to him. This is in Proverbs chapter 6, 16 to 19. A proud look. The spirit that makes one overestimate himself and underestimate others. It's at the amplified version. I hate lies, a lying tongue. <coughs> Hands that shed innocent blood. For me, that's like throwing people under the bus. I, I, just, I just can't stand that. A heart that manufactures wicked thoughts and plans. Feet that are swift to running into evil. A false witness 
who breathes out lies even under oath, and he who sows discord among the brethren. I've got a longer list, but if I, if I start saying some of those things, I, I seem to be getting on my, my soapbox. But I have to share with you another thing that I hate. I hate a church that, has a, that, 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 that is not heretical, but that preaches a half a gospel. There, I've said it. There, I've said it. I, I, I just, it, 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 I cannot get my head around, around it. I, I just can't get my head around it. To me, those people are worse than heretics. I mean, how can you have a traditionally sound biblical doctrine? How can you, on your webpage, have a statement of faith that is, that is biblically sound? How can you market yourself as a genuine bride of Christ, and yet you present salvation without repentance? I, I, I cannot understand that. To me, in my book, my opinion, that person is worse than a deceiver. And outer darkness is too close to me because that's where you're going. That's where your judgment's going to end you up. You, you start preaching half a gospel, my friend, that's where you're going to end up. What you represent for me is worse than a heretic. And what is a heresy? A heresy is, is, is the belief or opinion that is contrary to an orthodox opinion. Now, a heretic will come along and he will say, listen, I, this is what I believe. And I'll say, okay, that's fine. I disagree with you. You're wrong. You're a heretic. You, you, you believe wrongly. You don't believe in the Word of God. I understand that. I accept that. But when the guy believes in the Word of God the way I do, and then he presents a half a gospel to people that need salvation, I just can't get my head around that. Now, the danger from that type of person is far worse than any other danger a person in the world is going to face. It's not because they are heretical in their doctrine. It's not because their leaders don't believe in the Word of God, but come across and start preaching as if they believe in the Word of God. It's not that. You see, more or less, they will have the same doctrine as you and I. They're going to have, the, the, if you sit down and talk to their leaders, and you talk to the leaders on salvation, justification, and sanctification, and I'll be talking to you about that in a, few, in, in a couple of podcasts' time, they will nod their heads and say, yes, amen, brother, we, we agree with you. But the danger lies in that you will find that they themselves are very, very conservative in their Christian view. This is the danger. You will find out that these people, you know, when, when you look at a liberal or when you look at a progressive, you'll be able to identify him and understand, look, that's where he is, his views, these are his views, his views oppose me, he is going to oppose me, I understand that. But these guys, they will not denounce the authority of Scripture, they believe it. They hold the Bible in high esteem. 
They believe in the Trinity. They believe in the cross of Jesus Christ. They have an orthodox opinion on the, on the subject of justification. You can talk to them about repentance all day long and they will agree with you. But here is what I hate. While their doctrine is the same, while you press them on these issues, their, their answers will be the same as yours. They do not teach their followers the same things. In my view, they deliberately hide the offensive message of the cross of Jesus Christ. In my view, they will deliberately water down the message of the gospel to basically fit into where society is. In my view, they're going to try and reduce the feelings and understandings of condemnation and conviction that comes when the true message of the cross is released into someone's life. They will dumb down Christianity and they will make it palatable for the world and they will cover it up with a generous helping of prosperity, of blessing. In my view, it's not that they don't believe in sin, they just don't talk about it. Well, we just don't focus on that. We focus on blessing. It's not that they don't believe in justification. They just don't talk about it. It's not that they don't believe in repentance. It's they just don't talk about it. This is a tool for you to be able to use in judging a message. You walk into a church, you sit down and listen to the preacher, you get a podcast, you sit and listen to that, you open a book, you read a book. This is the tool for you to use to basically be able for you to see where this person is actually going to be leading you. And you'll be able to sift through and identify this most dangerous person. Now, here, here's, here's one of the things that you need to focus on. In my view, they will boast about the love of God. So when you go into their sermons or read their books, they'll be talking about the love of God all the time. But here's the difference, okay? That love is no longer based on the cross. It's based on the blessings of Jesus. That's the difference, okay? The love of God, the message of the love of God comes through the cross. To access the freedom, to access the blessing, to access heaven, you have to go to the cross because without the cross, none of this will come to you. So what you hear when you go to these places is you will, you, will, you will hear little bits and pieces about Jesus dying for you, but the bulk of the time is they will spend giving you this verbal barrage on all these blessings, how this is going to be your day if you just line up here and be prayed for and be blessed here. 
and receive this blessing. Are these preachers, are these churches heretical preachers, heretical churches? No. And that is why they are the most dangerous. Uh, Sam sent Carolyn a message or an email, I don't know how it worked out, but of Spurgeon's church way back. And uh, I read some of the articles there. I loved it. They've uncovered a whole lot of books of articles written by the elders. So the, the system there in the church was old, old Spurgeon would preach and people would come and fuck and get saved and, and he would just thunder and roar off his pulpit and preach the message of the cross. And then people would have to go into classes. And then if they wanted to become a member and get baptized, they would have to appear before one of the elders. And these elders used to write down these little bits and pieces of notes, and they've discovered all these notes and compiled them into books. So I've got two notes here for you of uh, them, and they're on the slide there. And I, I find it fascinating. I mean, here, here, is, here is someone, an M.W. Higgins of 12 Perry Street, Brompton. <laughs> Listen to, look, look, look at him. He says, and, and for the podcast, I'll read it. It says, wants to join the membership but does not attend TAB. So TAB is the church, Tabernacle. He's very chatty, has very little knowledge, but apparently a great deal of self-satisfaction. <laughs> he can't attend Mr. Hank's class and thinks Mr. Roy is too dry for him. He seems to only have half an ear but seven tongues. <laughs> so you can imagine what that young man is like, all right? So that was Elder Thomas Moore. And then it gets checked by this person, initial CB. The youth applied for admission to the college, recommended him to the evening classes he attended for a short time. I think the above is a very accurate description. Here, here, here was a church that was full, and yet they kept a standard. The next one is of a George Perkins, 27th Commercial Road, Lambeth was introduced by his wife to come and hear Mr. S. about three years ago. The chapel was so crowded, she was obliged to leave, but he stopped. Had hitherto been a blasphemer, swearer, and a drunkard. Imagine writing that about someone today. <laughs> you have the postmodernist like frothing and running to court with you. And had not been in the, any place of worship for five years. The text, he cannot remember, so in other words, he's not remembering the word, remember, but he stood condemned and felt his lost condition and went home to pray for the first time. I asked him whether being such a great sinner, I asked him whether being such a great sinner, whether he was not afraid to ask God for mercy. He answered, he answered was that Mr. Spurgeon said that Christ shed his blood to save sinners and he pleaded the blood of Christ. Continued in darkness for a few weeks, but still prayed and was enabled to look to the cross and then found relief attributes this change to free and sovereign grace, looks to God for strength to endure unto the end. I recommended him to get the confession of faith, and once again, he attended the Saturday evening prayer meetings for 12 months, seen by Brother Hanks, May 25th. I've seen this case and feel satisfied, gave him a card. So <laughs> before you could actually meet the preacher, you had to get the card from the elders. And they would examine you like this. That is fantastic. Yeah, I did that without knowing this last year, what, last year or the year before. 
I did that. We had four people, four groups, ask for membership at LifeFast, and I refused them all. And uh, we got, my, my name got a bit pillared out there in the world. But for various reasons, these people had been attending our church. And uh, they'd been part of the ministry. They'd been working their way through the discipleship training school. And they came to a point where they asked to be members of LifeHouse. And I brought them in and I sat them down and I said, no. Each person had a various different reason for why I said no. And I gave them the reason and I said to them, you need to go back and you need to be uh, ministered to a lot more and a lot more in depth in these various different areas. So they left the church. And some of them have joined another church. Can you imagine this? Say there's a five-year period. In the fifth year of this person's life, they joined LifeHouse. Okay? Now, in the fifth year, it was found that the first three years of the last five years, there was sexual impropriety in the person's life. They kept it hidden. They're in a church, in another church. They kept it hidden for the fourth year. When they came to LifeHouse, whoop, popped to the surface. I wonder why. Just did. So now they came to me, and now we started to minister to them. And then they said, we want membership. And I said, no, because you need to have ministry. You need to have your heart dealt with. You need to be processed. And all this issue of sexual immorality in your life and in your marriage needs to be dealt with. They left. They are now in leadership in another church. And that pastor is away because I told that pastor. And so Babylon is rising. And what are we doing? We're not presenting a full gospel. We as Christians are getting scared of the word repent. I'm telling you now, you need to grab hold of that word and apply it to your life every day because it is that word. And it is the process of repentance that will initiate blessings and freedom in your life that you will not know. So when people come to me and ask me, David, we want to become members of LifeHouse, these are the type of questions I ask them. And if you can't answer these questions, you go to discipleship training school. End of the story. So here's some of the questions. So let, this is going to make some of you members sweat. <laughs> Maybe I'll have spot tests. Come here. Can you give me a full and accurate account of your salvation process? And just don't tell me where you got saved under which ministry and Billy Graham came in 19, whatever, and you got saved then. Can you tell me how the process of salvation worked through your life? If you can't understand that, how are you going to lead someone else in salvation? Can you talk to me about sin, strongholds, and how they have and are affecting you? And can you tell me 
the biblical means you are using to deal with these things that are so easily binding you to your past. So we have a little bit of a chat about quality of life, strongholds, how you've dealt with the ones there, how you are continually dealing with them. Can you tell me about the different types of faith that you have and how was the state of your faith and how are you growing your faith? And if you can't answer that, you go back to foundation school and that'll be the third or fourth lesson. Who are you discipling according to biblical standards? These are just a few questions that I ask people. And then when I say yes, they'll be put forward. If I say no, they won't, and some of them are upset with me. <laughs> when you listen to these preachers, how much of the gospel are they actually preaching that can be backed up by Scripture? Of the thousands and thousands of people attending church every week, church services every week, and listening to preachers on a weekly basis, listening to podcasts, reading books, how many of them can walk away with a clear knowledge of understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ? How many people of the people who've responded to the altar call actually know what they're responding to? I've shown you clips over the series where people rush down to the altar and are calling upon angels to, to baptize them in fire. Where a preacher will start praying for them and then send them running out of the church to go and eat grass because it's the, it's the life of God. How many of these followers under these ministries can actually give a reason for hope? Why do you hope? Because you have hope and the world doesn't have hope. Can you explain it? How many of these followers of these types of ministries can give a reason for this? Do you know, so many of them, so many of them speak about Jesus in this empty, emotional, sentimental way where Jesus is the heavenly boyfriend or the bro-friend from heaven. He is the king of kings, Lord of lords. He is the master of your life, your savior, your Lord, your king. I hate this message, this nebulous, vague, superficial, shallow trite, one-size-fits-all, PC-correct approach to the gospel. I, I, ugh, drives me mental. I hate it. These people that peddle the gospel and they come and they preach. They preach a hope without substance. They're preaching a Christ without the cross. They're preaching a faith without reason. And they're preaching a mixture of motivational self-improvement without sanctification. These guys are not wild and wacky like Benny and Kenny. But I'm telling you, they're more dangerous. Because their doctrine is the same as yours. And whenever in their message you get a glimpse of the message of the cross, they quickly cover it up 
with a promotional message so that you feel happy. No one is challenged to basically examine themselves and judge themselves like the Bible says concerning the sin that's in their life. No one is made to feel bad about themselves because after all, we're here to encourage you to be the best you that you can be. The only way you can be the best you that you can be is to put the cross in your life and apply your flesh to the cross on a daily basis. To me, these people have become embarrassed about the message of the gospel of Christ. I hate it. I hate this fact that they make people think they're Christians because they're in a Christian environment, because they're doing God things, because they're in a God place. I hate the fact that if you challenge them, they will, they will point to their doctrine and say, see, it's the same. I hate the fact that if you challenge them about salvation, they'll say, look, we, we believe the same thing. And in that lies the greatest danger. <clears throat> How do you judge these ministries? Do you judge them by bips, bums in pews? Do you judge them by the appearance of attendees or the number of attendees? Do you judge them by the number of programs and how flashy the programs are? Or do you judge the message, the, the ministry by the message? In John chapter 6, I want you to go home and read the whole chapter of John in light of this message and really spend a week just meditating on it because I'm going to highlight a few things about the ministry of Jesus here and how people responded to Jesus' ministry that is very, very insightful, especially in a postmodernistic society and a church that is going to Babylon that we're facing right now. In John chapter 6, we, we've got the story of Jesus coming along and feeding the 5,000. And in verse 1, it says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. Now here it is. I'm going to highlight just a few things, talk, highlight a few things and talk. Here it is, verse 2. A great crowd of people followed him, because they saw the signs he had performed by healing those who were ill. All right, that's significant to me because especially when you read what happens through the process of Jesus' understanding where these people are and what he says to them and what they do, it's very significant because this is where these preachers will step in and play to the crowd. So Jesus then goes in, and, 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 and this is where the miracle of the, the loaves and fishes take place, and he feeds them all. And in verse 14, so the, 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 the feeding is taking place. Everybody's full. Everybody's happy. All the little stomachs are full. And, and in verse 14, this is what the, was recorded. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. All right. What were they after? Signs, wonders, needs been met. Come, and I will pray for you, and you will get a blessing. 
and there'll be a miracle in your life. And if there's no miracle in your life, it's not my prayer, it's your faith. That's what's going around. So what does Jesus do? He withdraws. He moves away from them. That is the opposite of what is happening today. So in verse 26, they find him again. So he, 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 we, we see the story, and the, story, the crowd catches up, and they find him on the other side of the lake, and they say, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered and said, Verily, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed the seal of approval. And so they go and they start having a discussion with Jesus. And they're not, they, they don't like what they hear. Now, just on a side note, if you are ever in a group of grumblers, leave that group because you're going to head for destruction. Go and read the Bible about grumbling. Anyway, verse 41. At this, now Jesus answers them and says, look, 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 look. You guys are looking for all the superficial stuff. You've got to get the real stuff. And only God can give it to you through his son. Verse 41, at this, at this, the Jews there began to grumble about him. Hey, we want to make you king. And he says, well, you want that, this is what you got to do. And they began to grumble about him because he says, I am that bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say I've come down from heaven? Verse 52. So Jesus answers them and he says, stop grumbling. And he starts talking a bit more about himself. Go and study it at home. In verse 52 it says, the Jews began to argue sharply amongst themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? It's going to start costing. So the story progresses on. They began, we're going, to, we're going to make you king. We don't like what you hear, what, what you're saying to us. Now we start arguing against us. And then verse 59. He started preaching in Capernaum. Is on hearing it, many of the disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept us? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend and he goes on and he starts to speak to them and in verse 66 it says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him and he even had to come to the 12 and said to them, are you going to leave as well? How do you judge a ministry? How do you judge the message of a minister? These are, these are questions I will answer, but these are questions you need to start to think about. 
you see, and I'm going to start to wrap up now. It'll take me a while. Right, you know my wrap up. It's just my last point. All right. This message is an offensive message, and you cannot disguise it in any way. You can't disguise it. It's going to offend people. The message from Babylon, remember the religious arm of Babylon, is tolerance. You can be the one person in the world that wants to do something, and they will tolerate you. But at the end of the day, Babylon says one thing. You will worship Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? You will worship Nebuchadnezzar. The role of Babylon is to get you to worship the devil. Everything in the system of Babylon is there designed to give you what you want. But at the end of the day, you will worship Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is coming. The Antichrist is coming. Go and read Revelation 17 and 18. And unfortunately, the message that comes from God is the complete opposite of the message that comes from Babylon. Sin is real. Sin is damaging. And sin has a direct eternal consequence. If you die in your sin, you will spend an eternity in hell. God loves you. But His love does not wipe away the wages of your sin unless you accept and embrace the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. On the cross, he paid for your sin. So you have to accept his way. You have to accept his lifestyle. You have to leave Babylon. Any message from Babylon is a lie because the message from Babylon is this. It's okay. You can do it on your own. And if you can't by any way, way means do it on your own, God loves you and love will conquer all and ultimately you will end up in heaven anyway. But the message from God is completely the opposite to that. The message from God is repent, be converted, and start living God's way. That's the message in a nutshell. I'm going to end off. There are only two religions in the world. There is the religion of Babylon and there's God's way. In God's way, salvation is all from God. And Jesus paid the price on the cross. Babylon, you have to do something to get to heaven. And in the second way, all false religion gets combined and presented. It gets presented in the modern era as postmodernism. It gets presented as atheism. It gets presented as agnosticism. It gets presented as this religion, that religion, the other religion. 
and they all wrap it up, and they say, you have to do something to get to heaven. Anyone who says to you that you have to do something to get to heaven doesn't know how to get there. Anyone who says that ultimately everybody is going to end up in heaven is not a Christian, doesn't know their Bible, and you're not going to get to heaven on that message. The only person who can tell you that they know without a shadow of a doubt that they will get to heaven is a disciple of Jesus who through following the message of the gospel as outlined in the word of God has by faith believing that they will get to heaven and the Holy Spirit will confirm it to them. The Bible doesn't ask you to justify yourself. The Bible doesn't ask you to regenerate yourself. The Bible doesn't ask you to get yourself adopted into God's family. The Bible says God has done that for you. But to get that, you have to go to the cross. You have to look at the cross and see God's love for you hanging there in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, who died to pay for your sin. And an exchange takes place at the cross. You come to the cross and you say, Lord Jesus, I have been born a sinner and I do sinful things. And there is no way here that I can possibly do. There's nothing I can say, nothing I can do that will get me in right standing with you. And so I accept your salvation in Jesus' name. I am a sinner and I confess my sins before you and I accept your salvation that I'm your son, that I'm your daughter. And based on your word to me and based on the confirmation of the Holy Spirit to my life, I now believe that I am a child of God. If you're gonna witness to someone, I'm gonna end off with these few verses of scripture in Romans. If you're gonna witness to someone, Use the Roman road. Here it is there. I've shared this with you. I've used it all the time. But here the Roman road actually articulates to you a way of salvation. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5.12, therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because of all sinned. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10, 9 to 13. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with, a, with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As the scripture says, Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And in Romans 8, 1, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray for all of those that are hearing this and are under this deception, this very, very dangerous deception of a salvation without repentance. And I pray, Lord, that you, through your Holy Spirit, will begin to speak into their heart and bring a conviction 
that, that you will give them the, the saving faith that they will turn from what they are doing and turn towards you. And Lord, that they will confess their sins, confess that they are a sinner by birth, confess they are a sinner by deeds, and that they will accept your gift of salvation, which is eternal life in your Son and through your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray this in the name of Jesus. As this word goes out, Lord, I pray that you will release this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Thank you.